Welcome to The Abandoned Carousel, the show where I take a deep dive into the stories of the most interesting abandoned amusements and theme parks in the world. I'm your host, Ashley. This week, we're talking about the Rose Island Amusement Park. Almost a century ago, this amusement park was the happening place where people went to escape the city smog near Louisville. Abandoned for most of the 20th century, Rose Island stands today as a public park with a few abandoned remains left to discover. To talk about Rose Island, we have to go back. Way back. The story of Rose Island begins as the story of a geological structure. The island is actually a peninsula. It's known as Devil's Backbone, and it's located between the Ohio River and 14 Mile Creek, east of Charlestown, Indiana. A number of stories exist about the early history of the area, centuries ago, all based around the supposed existence of a reportedly man-made stone wall around the actual Devil's Backbone rock outcropping. Now, some say that a Welsh prince called Madoc and his men occupied the island in the 1170s. Others say that the Aztecs, located down in central Mexico, actually had a northern outpost right on Rose Island. No evidence for either legend exists. In 1902, one of the most well-traveled archaeologists at the time, Gerard Falk, visited the site. His verdict about the supposedly man-made stone wall? Quote, Both the plan and the description of this so-called fort are entirely imaginary. End quote. He went on to say that, quote, It seems incredible that a person connected in any capacity with a geological survey, even as a cook or a mule driver, could ever have made such a ridiculous blunder as to suppose them artificial, end quote. Thus is the beginning of the history of Rose Island. In the 1880s, the area began being called Fern Grove. Now, this was an obvious name choice due to the massive amount of ferns that grew in the area. People came to Fern Grove to picnic and relax on Sundays after church, and churches also ran religious camps on the site. The location was calm and peaceful, full of natural beauty along the Ohio River. Quote, This was the summertime treat looked forward to all year long. Fern Grove was a large, pleasant picnic ground. End quote. People came to Fern Grove to get out of the sooty city and into the fresh, clean, natural air. A hotel was built on the site called Ferncliff Hotel. This was a spectacular place, particularly for the time. The building was three stories done in the Victorian style, with latticed front porches along the entire front of the building, surrounded by trees and climbing flowers. Promotional literature of the time proclaimed Fern Grove as the place to get away from the heat and humidity in Louisville in a time long before air conditioning. A 1917 newspaper ad calls it, quote, the beauty spot of the Ohio Valley, end quote, describing the area as, quote, gorgeously bedecked in beautifully tinged wildflowers, end quote. The Louisville and Jeffersonville Ferry Company purchased the land in 1881 from its Ohio owners in order to serve as a stop for leisure passengers on the company's ferries. 
The cost was $1,300, which would be about $32,000 in today's money. Ferngrove became a spot for day trips where travelers would disembark from the ferry in the morning and spend the entire day picnicking, exploring the ferns, and relaxing amongst the natural beauty. All was calm until one year. Quote, All Sunday school picnics were pretty much identical until that famous summer when the Episcopalians introduced dancing on their boat rides. To say there was a sensation is a gross understatement. But while the older members of the somewhat sterner sex clucked and shook their heads in disapproval, their young flocked to join the outings of Calvary, St. Andrews, and Christchurch. End quote. Clearly, something had changed. Here our story turns to David Rose. Now, David Rose was a man born in Nicholasville, Kentucky, with not much to his name. As an eight-year-old, he took a paper route. As he grew, his businesses grew as well. He purchased a newspaper agency at the age of 11, which he managed for a few years before moving to Louisville. And there he worked his way up the ladder of the Louisville Post. He was associated with over 26 corporations during his life. One of the most notable of these was the Standard Printing Company, which he founded in 1901 for $75. It was built into a multi-million dollar printing company over the next 20 years of his tenure there, and it became the largest company in the South of its type. He is often remembered for offering the city of Louisville 10 cities blocks worth of electric lights, hoping to set an example for others of his wealth. In the 1920s, Rose was well aware of local Ferngrove, and he was interested in the Falls City's Ferry and Transportation Company. He had big ideas and big dreams, and he wanted to give the area a boost. In 1923, the Courier-Journal proclaimed that David Rose had purchased the Ferngrove property with plans for an amusement park. Cost of the purchase was not mentioned, but it is estimated at about $50,000. Rose reportedly invested over $250,000 into developing Rose Island into a tourist property. He had plans including augmented water supplies, a beach for bathing, restaurants, tennis courts, and rental cottages. He apparently even planned to whitewash the trees that face the river. He repaired the old road on the Kentucky side of the peninsula leading to the ferry dock, and he created a manned parking lot for visitors to park in. And of course, he changed the name of the peninsula. It was now called Rose Island. There were two ways to get to the new Rose Island amusement park, bridge or steamboat. For the bridge, from the Indiana side, visitors could drive, park, and then walk on a swinging bridge. The bridge was 50 feet in length over the creek. The boys used to, when you'd start across that, they'd get on and shake that thing, and it would just scare us girls to death. Visitors arriving by suspension bridge still had to pay to enter the park at the ticket booth once they'd crossed the bridge. And the bridge itself had tree limbs interwoven as part of its side railings. In high water times, the slats almost touched the water. In low water, the bridge was far above the surface. Now from the Kentucky side of the peninsula, three ferry trips a day by steamers and paddle boats would serve the island. And these steamboats included Steamer America, City of Cincinnati, Columbia, and Idlewild, which later became the more famous and well-known Belle of Louisville. Steamer America carried up to 4,000 passengers per day. It was one of the largest river steamers in the country. 
It was often chartered for clubs and churches planning their annual picnics at Fern Grove and Rose Island. Another of the steamers, Idlewild, is still in operation today. It's now called Belle of Louisville and was built in 1914 with a very modern design for the time, all steel construction. She is reportedly the record holder in her class for years of operation, miles traveled, and places visited. No matter which boat you chose, a ride on the steamboat from Louisville would take about one and a half to two hours, and it would cost about 50 cents. Riders would wake up early to catch the steamer. The boats had music, and they were considered part of the fun of the day trip. The river landing featured the iconic Rose Island arched sign. It was mounted on three stone pillars for visitors to walk under, and it was flanked with Gothic-style iron lamps and lighted walkways. The sign was electric, and it could be seen for miles up and down the river. Now, Rose Island Amusement Park covered 118 acres on the peninsula, and it was located about 14 miles from Louisville. Reportedly, the park attracted 135,000 visitors annually in its heyday. It had the capacity to handle about 4,000 guests per day. The park had its own electrical power generating station, its own mineral water well, and its own sanitation system, and its own ice plant. Waterworks, or drinking fountains, were promoted by temperance movements at the time as an alcohol alternative, and these were actually part of the ad copy for the park, promoting the drinking fountains there. And at night, the entire park was well lit to allow for nighttime walks by patrons. One historical path is now called the Walkway of Roses. Other sources at the time refer to this as the Great White Way, due to the white stones lining the path, the white pillars, the white rose bushes, and the roses that twined overhead on arches over the path. The park's natural beauty would have been a pleasure to walk around and enjoy. Now, in case you've forgotten, this was a different time. This was almost a century ago. And a sign on the wall of the dance hall provided the rules for the park. Quote, Rose Island was purchased for the purpose of making a public playground and summer resort for the pleasure of the people of the Falls cities. To ensure the success of the enterprise, the management has adopted certain definite rules which all patrons are expected to respect. No gambling will be allowed. No drinking permitted. Animals must not be molested. All other property fully protected. Under no circumstances will unbecoming conduct be permitted on the island. The cooperation of the public is not only requested but insisted upon. If Louisville and the Fall Cities are to have a model resort, all who wish to enjoy its many advantages must do their part. End quote. Those rules, they really tell you that this was a different time. The hotel on Rose Island was originally built in 1886 during the Fern Grove days. And back then, it was called the Fern Cliff Hotel. Stories diverge about whether David Rose simply modernized and renamed the Fern Cliff Hotel or whether he painted it and made it a home for park employees and built a separate Rose Island Hotel. The hotel stood at the base of the cliff, just north of the Ohio River Gateway. The rooms featured verandas and offered breezy river views. There were 12 rooms, each of which were reportedly remodeled to include a private bathroom in each room, which was huge at the time. Now, if you didn't want to stay in the hotel you could stay in the Rose Island Cottages. 
These were suitable for short-term or all-season rentals, and they were completely furnished and could accommodate four to eight people. Twenty cottages were available for rental as summer homes, and they were located just a hundred feet from the river. Each cottage had four rooms with the most modern of finishings. Room service was also available. Residents who elected to rent a cottage for the entire summer were able to take a boat to and from Louisville at a lower charge than the daily rate. So, once you'd figured out whether you were staying on the island or not and how long you were going to stay, you needed something to eat. Thus came the Rose Island Dining Hall. With the capacity for 4,000 guests per day, you needed food infrastructure. The Rose Island restaurant was able to seat 500 guests at a time indoors. Outdoors and in the adjacent dance hall, there was the possibility of additional seating, bringing the total capacity for a single meal to over 1,600 people. The menu featured fresh-caught fish from the adjacent Ohio River. The on-site Rose Island Company had its own farm. Fresh eggs, milk, butter, and cream came from the local hens, Jersey cows, and on-site dairy owned by the Rose Island Company. These items were delivered three times a day, and they represented the utmost in luxury. Remember the time period. These items were considered luxury for the city dwellers who visited Rose Island in the turn of the century. Advertisements called the food excellent cuisine. One visitor remembers that the cooking was amazing with, quote, the best onion rings around, end quote. Now, I told you this was an amusement park, and you're probably thinking, what about the amusements? So Rose Island had a wooden carousel, which was possibly left over from the Fern Grove days. It's not quite clear. A grainy image from a 1930s promotional pamphlet shows a classic carousel with an array of riders and horses. Painted birds and shiny mirrors decorate the structure. Now, unlike most abandoned parks that we've talked about and most abandoned parks that I know about, very little is known about the former Rose Island roller coaster. We do know that it was a wooden coaster, and it was likely built after 1929, since no images of it appear in the 1930 promotional pamphlet that exists. In fact, we have no images of the coaster from the park's operational days. There is little else known about it, though some suggest the coaster was called the Devil's Backbone after the famous geographical structure nearby. The park also had things like pony rides and steamboat races. They advertised rides on Shetland ponies for those who thought the carousel was too staid and boring. If mechanical items were of more interest, the park offered excellent views of steamboat races as part of its regular schedule of events. The hilly shore on the Ohio River allowed a perfect spot for viewing the regular steamboat races. A 1928 event included one such race, with the city of Cincinnati and the steamer America racing from Louisville to Rose Island. In this race, the city of Cincinnati won. And the beautiful nature scenery was an incredible draw at the time, with visitors enjoying the variety of abundance, from the Lover's Lane path along the top of the Devil's Backbone Ridge to rocks, wildflowers, and river scenery. The Rose Island Lagoon allowed a calm area for paddle boats, and there was even a small waterfall called Cascade Falls. Given that the park was often popular among church outings and other large groups of people, sports were also a popular amusement at Rose Island. The park had baseball fields, tennis courts, and was in the process of building a miniature golf course. There was also reported to be a shooting gallery. 
Now, zoos, of course, have been popular for much of human history, so it's no surprise that Rose Island also had a zoo. The Rose Island Amusement Park Zoo featured groundhogs, wolves, and 12 exotic monkeys from the West Indies. There was also alligators, which lived in a moat around a decorative fountain, because that's what you want at your amusement park. Now, Rose Island Zoo is probably best known for its small black bear named Teddy Roosevelt. And by modern standards, the zoo was very unsafe. Looking at the pictures, the bear was separated from people by nothing more than metal bars. And there's a small sign affixed to the cage that says, Beware of animals, don't put your hands in cages. It was definitely a different time. And if you're wondering about the name, remember Teddy Roosevelt was the 26th president of the United States. And he's the reason we call them teddy bears. In 1902, he refused to shoot a chained black bear on a hunting trip, and toy plush bears were created to celebrate the event. Another huge attraction at the Rose Island Amusement Park was dancing. Dancing was a huge part of the amusement scene at this time period. Rose Island's dance hall was constructed adjacent to the dining hall. It had beautiful exposed beams on its ceiling, and inside there were seating along one side. The dance hall reportedly doubled as a roller skating rink during the day, where an organ would play for the skaters. In the evening, the roller floor would be removed and the dance floor set up. Visitors from the time recalled dances to end each evening at the park. Waltzes and tangos in the 1920s, and new dance crazes like the Lindy Hop and the Charleston in the 1930s. Orchestras were great draws for the park, and were featured on the handbills promoting the park at the time. Built in 1934, the swimming pool is probably considered the most memorable part of Rose Island Amusement Park, probably due to its visibility in the modern time as an abandoned park. When the park was open, the pool was a huge crowd pleaser for guests in the humid summer days before air conditioning. The park even offered bathing suits for rental. A lifeguard at the time remembered that the biggest problem was preventing guests from climbing the trees to dive into the pool. And the pool was said to be the first of its kind, the first Olympic-sized swimming pool in Indiana, and the first filtered-watered pool in the Midwest, with an integrated system for skimming off oils and keeping the water fresh. In the center of the pool stood a large top-like structure, a circular platform with a handle where guests could stand and work to spin one another around, splashing into the pool. The pool was incredibly popular for the guests during the short time it was in existence. As with all theme parks and all areas of daily life at the time, the Great Depression hit Rose Island hard. It caused the first ever operating loss for the park in 1931. It's said that David Rose kept the park open during the Great Depression only by paying bills out of his own personal accounts. That wasn't the end for the park. The end for the park was the Great Ohio Flood of 1937. In January and February of 1937, a devastating flood swept through the South. Water levels began to rise at the end of January. In the middle of the month, near-record rainfalls were recorded for days on end. By January 18th, the Ohio River began to overflow its banks. By January 27th, the river was marked at a height of 57 feet in Louisville near Rose Island, 
which was setting a new record for the area. 70% of the city was underwater. It took until the first week of February, 1937, for water levels to fall beneath the flood stage. The flood was considered one of the most powerful of the 20th century. The government responded by sending out a fleet from the U.S. Army Corps. Bridges were too flooded to allow the boats to go under, so relief vessels were forced to steam around them, going over farmland and dodging telephones and power lines. FDR was president at the time, though only just, having been inaugurated on January 20th, and he sent in thousands of workers to provide aid with food and temporary housing. The scale of the flood was incredibly unprecedented. Groups lobbied to create comprehensive flood plans afterwards, ultimately involving the creation of more than 70 storage reservoirs to reduce the river's flood height. This plan actually took 5 to 10 years, but it has drastically reduced flood damages in the years since. And this was not only relevant for the Ohio River, because the aftermath of the 1937 Ohio River flood also affected how local governments planned for future floods along the Tennessee and Mississippi rivers. Now, locally in Louisville, hundreds of thousands of people were left homeless as a result of the flood. This was during the height of the Depression, and times were incredibly hard. Louisville directed future development towards the east, away from the floodplain. A local who experienced the flood recalls, quote, It is impossible to describe the difficulties in rebuilding and restoring residences, barns, business places, and fences. The mud was deep everywhere, even in buildings that did not wash away. Since most places did not have running water systems, there were not hoses to use for washing out the buildings. Cleaning up was a laborious process by hand. Many cattle and horses were drowned to say nothing of poultry, end quote. At the time, damages for Kentucky in general were estimated at $250 million, which was an incredible number in 1937. In today's 2019 dollars, this would be about $4.4 billion in damages. Given its location at the junction of the rivers, it's not surprising that Rose Island was incredibly hard hit by the flood. The entire property was submerged in places under 10 to 15 feet of water. The bridge was washed away completely. Only the support pylons remained. Trees fell and most of the buildings were irreparably damaged. Though the park was closed at the time of the flood, it could not be rebuilt for the 1937 season. It turned out to be too expensive to repair the damages for any future seasons. David Rose walked away from Rose Island. He left it essentially abandoned, and he pursued other business ventures instead. He died 21 years later in 1958. The local paper, the Courier-Journal, visited the now-abandoned Rose Island Amusement Park in 1939, two years after, to survey the damage. The Nickelodeon, the music player that played music off punched rolls of paper, was ruined. It spilled its music rolls across the floor. Most of the structures were present, but deteriorating. Inside buildings, there was typical office debris strewn across the floors, sodden, ruined. And the only extant picture of the roller coaster comes from this visit, where a pile of wooden debris can be seen, one with a roller coaster chain partially attached. 
it is barely recognizable as a roller coaster. So, thus devastated and mostly inaccessible, Rose Island was left to be taken back by nature. The Indiana Army Ammunition Plant purchased the property in 1940, prior to the Second World War, as it needed water from the river for the production of its ammunition. Land in the area was cheap. It wasn't really suitable for farming. So the first ammunition plant here was completed by 1941. The land formerly used for Rose Island went unused in the Army days. It mostly just served as a buffer between the ammunition plant and the river during the war. At its peak, the Indiana Army Ammunition Plant employed 2,700 locals. The plant produced smokeless powder, rocket propellant, and propellant charge bags. The plant was active through the Korean and Vietnam Wars. Again, the Rose Island Amusement Park portion was left abandoned. A few visitors occasionally made it over to the park by boat, but the bridge was long gone and the property was under private ownership, so it just wasn't that easy to get there. A 1958 expedition by the local paper saw decayed fragments of a rowboat that had previously been rented, a small shelter, and little else. Broken parts of a picnic table and the wasted suspension bridge were the only other recognizable pieces. In 1963, Jefferson County Judge Marlowe Cook had a proposal. He'd been instrumental in purchasing the Bell of Louisville for the community, and he wanted to revive Rose Island as an amusement park. However, investigation of the site found the cost to do so would be prohibitive. They also stated that due to the erosion, a boat the size of the bell could no longer dock at Rose Island, which would severely limit the number of people that could attend. An expedition by the state in 1980 found few remnants of the park left. None of the park's original signs or buildings remained, only a few posts and beams from the suspension bridge. However, the swimming pool was still in excellent shape. It had grass growing inside of it at this time, and the metal water toy was actually there, laying kind of like a discarded child's top. In the pictures, the ladder to the side of the pool really shows the scale of the image. Where there was once a clearing and a fence around, trees now encroached around the pool. The shoreline path, so well kept back in the 20s and 30s for walking at night, was now tangling with roots, very close to the water as erosion occurred. In 1995, the land from the former Rose Island Amusement Park was officially donated to the state, becoming Charlestown State Park, which covers over 15,000 acres. Plans began to be made for the restoration of the Rose Island Amusement Park. As we mentioned earlier, the only access to the Rose Island Amusement Park at this time was by boat. Restoration began in 2011 with the construction of a bridge to the island. The bridge that now crosses 14 Mile Creek is the Portersville Bridge. It originally crossed the White River at Portersville in 1912. Shortly after its completion, it was submerged in a 1912 flood, and it had to be rebuilt three feet higher the next year. This bridge is a truss bridge which began to become in popularity right around the turn of the 20th century. In 1999, the bridge was closed to car traffic at Portersville, and in 2008, it was completely closed for restoration and relocation. Pieces were numbered as the bridge was disassembled, and then were completely cleaned, inspected, and painted. The bridge was reinstalled at Charlestown State Park near Rose Island. Today, the former Rose Island Amusement Park is open as a public hiking trail, part of the Charlestown State Park. Trail number three connects hikers to trail number seven, which runs through the historic site. 
there is a 70-foot elevation change over three-quarters of a mile to get to the site, which is reportedly very steep on the way back up. Visitors describe the drop as ear-popping, a dip down to where civilization falls away and the woods rain. The entrance to the park from this direction features a small modern replica of the original entrance, with informational displays. The original Rose Island sign that attracted visitors for miles up the river is long gone, presumed stolen. However, the three concrete and stone pillars that once held the sign do remain amidst a pile of concrete and vines looking out across the river. Throughout the site, poles stand with signs labeling the locations for the original buildings at Rose Island. The state has set up informational display boards complete with vintage pictures. Boxes with hand cranks stand adjacent where visitors can listen to audio about the park's remnants. Interestingly, they've actually put in blue rings around each of these labeled poles in order to indicate the height of the river's crest in that area in 1937. The water levels have definitely changed in the area. Where small motorboats once landed, it's now dry, and visitors can see concrete pylons where boats were tied up. The water no longer reaches these moorings. No foundations from the hotels or really any of the buildings remained as of the archaeological survey in 2012. The only remnants of the hotel now are part of a retaining wall and a few crumbling steps. A rusting metal piano support leans against a tree near the site of the former dance hall, a reminder of the music that must have echoed through the forest every summer night almost a century ago. An original picnic table surprisingly does still remain at the park. There's also a crumbling pile of bricks with a fence around it to protect it from ambitious guests. This is the remnants of the fountain that once held small alligators in its moat. Occasionally, people can find bricks, metal rods, and other small reminders of civilization. But overall, the park is very much taken back by nature. The largest remaining visual of the abandoned park is the swimming pool. And this is the image you're going to see when you search for Rose Island. The pool, as late as 2015, was filled with murky green water, downed trees, and that original floating toy that attracted so many swimmers back in the 1930s. More recently, in the late 2010s, the pool was filled in with gravel and concrete for safety reasons. I mean, it was becoming a mosquito hazard, and if they're going to have tourists come to the park, they don't want anybody to drown. Nearby, there are broken foundations of different buildings, marking the site of the swimsuit rental station. The ladder for the pool access still arches over the sides into this concrete nothingness, a ghost-like reminder of the site's once grand past. The abandoned Rose Island Amusement Park is sparsely populated still today. The site is supposedly a difficult hike. The area is quiet, filled with the sounds of nature, leaves in the wind, birds, waves on the water. An occasional tourist winds a hand crank to hear a story about Rose Island's history. Despite the few pieces of visible park history remaining, the serene environment makes it easy to picture how the amusement park might have once been. Neatly maintained with luxurious appointments, mineral wells, the quiet buzz of conversation, the echoing sounds of laughter from the ball fields and the tennis courts, the organ playing as the carousel world. And of course, the riotous music and laughter and light spilling out from the dance hall as night fell, inviting ladies in dresses and men in suits inside. Quote, almost like a dream, end quote, a guest at the time remembers it. And it truly must have been. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Abandoned Carousel. This week, I covered the long history of Rose Island Amusement Park. I also provide video versions of each episode. You can find them at my website, along with complete show notes and references, theabandonedcarousel.com. Please subscribe to the show and remember to tell a friend. If you have stories about Rose Island, I'd love to hear them. You can get in touch with me across social media as The Abandoned Carousel or Carousel Abandon on Twitter. I'll be back next week with another great episode, so I'll see you then. As Lucy Maud Montgomery once said, nothing is ever really lost to us as long as we remember it. <laughs>